Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, the New England Repertory Orchestra starts its 2023-24 season this Friday at the Shea. Shameless plug. It's not shameless. The maestro <laughs> is here, and it's not because I'm on the board of the Shea, which I make zero dollars off of. I don't own that theater, as so many people think. The town owns it. So <laughs> really? That comes like up a It's like a volunteer bunch? job. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I get all that time. When you you bought this theater, I'm like, no, No. I I didn't buy this theater. But artistic director Kaylin Marcel Manson will join us to talk about the new horizons of the Nero Orchestra for this new year. And word nerd Emily Brewster fills our plates with some of the culinary terms included in the 690 new words that Merriam-Webster added to its ranks last week. But first, it's time for our ears to simultaneously go global and local. How do we do that? Your mic is very loud. Yeah, I was speaking like since 1966, <laughs> I think. Uh, no, 68. You might be 66. Like You're a little like older. Yesterday's conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. That, more you know, acid. I more listen acid. to this show like almost every single time since the very beginning, and yesterday was one of the ones I really wanted to listen to, and I wasn't able to because you missed <laughs> so frustrated. You missed Carly Munoz. Yeah, I, I mean, well. I have his book, yeah. and I'm reading it, and I'm going to go see him on the weekend. Yeah, and that the, was fun. The Psychedelic band he was in space uh-huh. was, is awesome <laughs> and crazy, and and I love the period of the um, Beach Boys that he was in. Yeah, I mean I named my show Feel Flows. Mm. You know when I was on MUA after that that period of the early. Oh man, shows. that's so cool, Captain so. Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, messaged me later that night and was like, I I knew it about Mike Love. Well, I, I mentioned a I'll chef. I'll find out when I listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> when you think about DJs in the Valley, one of the names that you might think of is DJ Bongo Head. One of the names you might think of is DJ Studebaker Hawk. And one of the names you might think of is DJ Bex Taylor from right here at NEPM, who I listen to driving home from my Kung Fu class. Uh, weekly, and we're going to talk about local music and local record labels with these three fine DJs right now. DJ Bongo Head is the moniker of Pablo Iglesias. DJ Studebaker Hawk is the moniker of Justin Cohen. And DJ Bex Taylor, we're not going to reveal your real name. <laughs> but you're also... Our NEPM partner in crime. Yes, yeah. part of the brain trust behind Peace and Rhythm Records. Tell us, Bongo Head Pablo, about the birth of Peace and Rhythm Records. It was pretty painful. But luckily, the endorphins or whatever kick in. Oh, yeah, nice. Ten years later, almost, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that painful. (laughs) It was an idea uh, hatched by Andahar and myself to try and put out some music by some of the artists that we already admired and were playing on the radio. And um, if not them, then at least someone else in that realm of like groove oriented global sounds. We were banding around names and... I said, let's just use Peace and Rhythm, which was the name of Andahar's show on WMUA, mm-hmm. uh, named after the Idris Muhammad album. Because peace is great, and rhythm is also even great. greater. Yeah. <laughs> and if the two go together, a baby gets made. <laughs> <laughs> and a record label is born. Peace and Rhythm. I want to shout out to one of our founders, uh, Andahar, who, well, basically all of these partners I met through DJing. He is still an amazing detective who can find all kinds of new music. At least half of, of the 40-some-odd releases we've done have been music that he's discovered. And one more shout-out is to another partner of ours, uh, Carlos Rec, 
Woo, who does a lot of visuals for us. Um, Rec is part of the, the Peace and Rhythm DJ crew. We also yep. play all around individually and together. Yeah, I was about to ask you to, to talk a little bit about your summer parties. But yes, which is Carlos. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rec, Rec is the mover and shaker who puts on the parties at 33 Outside at the, the Center for the Arts in Northampton. Yeah, and he, again, just like all of us, he just wants to spread the good news, the good feeling, and the good music. And Bex, tell us about your relationship. I mean, people hear you here on yeah. NPM all the time. Tell us about your relationship to Peace and Rhythm Records. Well, I'm also a fill-in host for Jazz Safari. Yes. So I have a, a love for Latin music as well. And I I tapped them and said, could I come on board? Like, I'm pretty much like more of a hype person. I'm the new kid on the block here, yeah. but I feel I'm like I... am wearing a t-shirt that you helped make. Yeah. <laughs> so. but I, and I feel like I... I I was their biggest cheerleader and still am. I was already pre-buying all the stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> now she doesn't have to pay for that. Right. <laughs> there you go. Actually, she way to get free records. I pay We're, differently. Yeah, now. That was a smart, polite <laughs> <Right>. move. <laughs> like, right. I won't say that I stayed on our previous station for the free concert tickets, but there was definitely a large portion of the work perks. A lot of the stuff on your label is like classic genres done in non-classic ways, I think. What's appealing about seeing the outer fringes of what these genres can do? It I think it's it's fresh to get a new look at those genres and see what's going on today. I work also in a lot of reissues and, you know, digging through the past. I mean, most of my work, actually, that's not peace and rhythm, is with old music. <laughs> You're an expert in boogaloo music. This is uh, DJ well, Bongo. Just one one area. Also, the graphics, the presentation, mm-hmm. the visual presentation of music, because I'm a graphic designer too. To work with contemporary artists, where there's no back history except for what's happening now, is a thrilling thing to do. And I guess that's really was our mission. I mean, it, we could reissue some old thing in a, some time in the future, but um, and we've reissued contemporary music that never got, let's say, never got a vinyl version. But um, it really exciting to, to have um, fresh takes on some genres that we all know of salsa or Afrobeat or, or world jazz or what have you. We like to work with local artists as well as... Um, Certainly in the last few years, we've worked with some international artists as well. Yeah, I think it's just more appealing to work with what's going on now. We're speaking with the th- three of the DJs behind Peace and Rhythm Records, DJ Bongohead, a.k.a. Pablo Iglesias, DJ Studebaker-Hawk, Justin Cohen, and DJ Bex Taylor, who you know from NEPM right here, Studebaker-Hawk. You have a bunch of vinyl in front of you that you were touting when you were so excited about talking about reissuing some uh, maybe more contemporary stuff or older stuff on on vinyl records. So what do you got in front of you that people might um, be interested in hearing about? Yeah, only a few of the things we have we have reissued. We mostly work with contemporary artists who are putting out new music. But I happen to because we we're talking about reissuing a local thing that had not come out on vinyl. Um, this, of course, what the Western masses own world class salsero Jesus Pagan. It's awesome when you get a phone call from Jesus Pagan on your voicemail because it reads Pagan Jesus. Oh. <laughs> yeah, my wife makes this joke daily. It's a, it's a delight. But thankfully, um, he is a really serious artist. You know, he writes his own music as well as, as sings it and arranges it. A number of years ago, I think 2008, he asked me to design his first 
solo album that was on CD. And so then when, all these years later, he asked if we would want to reissue it, the question was how to make it bigger, the artwork, but not blurry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to go back to the original. Everything was local. Like, the record collection in the background was uh, Michael Ehlers' uh, record collection. Um, And he runs a a label. He's no longer in the area. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and then the photographer is a local photographer, Andrew Gretto, that I worked with at Family Fun, uh, a local business that's no longer with us. Yeah, yeah. Magazine. And so um, I had to go back to the original files and enlarge and redo everything. So it was kind of fun. And that's actually. And it looks gorgeous. I mean, like, it's sitting right in front of us. You'll see pictures on our social media and all that stuff. Yeah, the visuals are a big part. I mean, obviously, the music and the message are very important, but the visuals are just as important for us. Talk about the resurgence of vinyl. A new record shop opened on Mm -hmm. Avenue A in the town where I live. My children, who are teenagers, spend virtually all of their expendable income on vinyl. That's your fault. That's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) I'm proud of it. Um, and yet, there's not that many places that make vinyl records. And all when Taylor Swift decides she's going to reissue one of her albums, the whole world has to wait. So tell mm. us how that works for a small record label based in Western Mass like Peace and Rhythm. Sure. Well, I actually sell vinyl records for a living, as well as run the <laughs> Northampton Record Fair. Nice. Yeah. Woo. Yay! Um, yeah, there was definitely a... a extended period where plants were closing down for many years and I know like I live part of the year in in Mexico and there are no record plants left in Mexico the last one moved to the US actually the, the equipment was bought and brought up to the US the interesting thing is there actually have been quite a few new pressing plants that have been opening over the last five-ish years uh-huh. in the U.S. So now, soon we will have to wait less time for the new Taylor Swift, thankfully. <laughs> um, a lot of our records have been produced actually in Burlington, Vermont, at the Burlington Record Plant. We are major cheerleaders for. Yeah, we've we've teamed up with them even to, to release something like the Jesus Pagan and, and other ones where um, they get a portion of the records too. And they so it's kind of like a, a further partnership, not just working with them to, to press it, but to put it out. But what about the resurgence of vinyl? How do you guys explain that one? I'm not really sure other than trends. You <laughs> I know, feel like I was there out. at the death of vinyl because <laughs> I worked in record stores. Yeah. Really. yeah. What, 2000, I feel like, is sort mm-hmm. of when the, the dip really happened. Mm-hmm. But I think also I've had CDs go bad and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vinyl, you can pick up records that are 100 years old and you can still play them. Yeah. Unless they're scratched. Right. Right. <laughs> but you can still play them. You can still play them. Whereas I have CDs that, that have deteriorated. So I am so here for the vinyl resurgence. I guess part of it, too, was all the downloading. If people could get digital music for free, why would they waste all their money on a record or even a CD? My children buy multiple copies of the exact same record because you were showing us, Bongo Head, earlier that like the, the beauty of the vinyl itself is a piece of art and then some of these artists release multiple versions of the way the vinyl itself looks and so there's something artifactual about it in an era and an age where everything is so temporal and all your friends are digital ones and zeros on a laptop screen to have big artwork blown up in front of you to have a piece of vinyl that looks like a piece of artwork but also magic i will also say as a consumer and somebody who's a dj on radio yeah 
a lot of times you get a download code. So you mm-hmm. didn't have to make that choice. Yeah, and I used right. to have to make that choice. Yeah. Exactly. Of if I had a record and I was working at the commercial radio station, we did not have a record player. Do, yeah. do we have any, no. uh, a turntable here at any We PM? do. We do. Yep. Oh, There's good. one in the closet that has been we, on we the floor. We have one hooked up. We have one hooked up? If you guys, if you like, guys think I'm going to give you any free records. <laughs> <laughs> literally like two like near the supply yeah. closet. I keep thinking about taking one of those home. Not to get like even more niche with vinyl, but I notice also that you have seven inches. In a world where I am pro-EP, I feel like it's an underrated form of, of albums. Like, talk about like putting things out on seven inches. Do you feel that people are as excited about something smaller, a smaller form, as they are about the full-length albums? People have to lug records to gigs, love I mean, singles. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, especially playing internationally. Like, right. I'll be playing in Mexico next month, and I am bringing seven inches. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the easiest thing to DJ with. And it's really only within probably the last five years that I really went headfirst into seven inches and I ended up starting a, uh, a subscription service for, <laughs> for 45s from independent labels, mostly to support independent labels mm. and to get fun records out to people that, that might fly under the radar. My Are we going to say inch... what it's called? Oh, sure. It's called The Drop. And I, I am a subscriber to The Drop. Oh, nice. Nice. So how does it work? <laughs> um, you give him money. Yeah. And he <laughs> curates and sends two 45s or seven inches. They could be 33. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of his choice. And the best thing also is if you already have it, um, you can go to his, his online store on Discogs and switch something out. That's so, so great. and it's great because he he is more plugged in, you know, in and knows a lot of people from all around the world and and can really curate some great stuff. I've I've been a subscriber since the get go. I've not faded. More with DJ Bongo Head, Studebaker Hawk, and NEPM's own Bex Taylor as we get into the sounds, getting peace and rhythm excited these days. Later on the show, we'll discover the new culinary terms that made their way into the dictionary last week and hear about the new season of Nero, the New England Repertory Orchestra, from its artistic director, Kaylin Marcel Manson. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. One of the other great things about working with living musicians is the live music aspect. And we've even put out something that there was no band for. It was literally a one-man band thing stuck in a computer for many years. And we brought it to light, and then there was an opportunity for that person to perform that music, so they had to get a band together. Yeah. And then the band had so much fun playing together that they created a new band out of that because they were making new music That's as so well great. as playing the, the music from the record. Who is it that we're talking about? We are talking about Campos and Loco Beach. Nice. <laughs> so and, cool. And that all happened at the Green River Fest. Yeah, yeah, right it was Green in, River in Fest. The uh-huh. um, so they got together they got a band together so they could play Green River Festival in Green To Field. play the music of Campos, but then after that they decided to call themselves Loco Beach because they were making up their own music too. Oh wow. That's and, so great. And then we're like, well let's put out that record. We're celebrating music from around the world and from our backyard with our backyard favorite, well, I don't want to call it favorite, one of our favorite backyard record labels, Peace and Rhythm. There's lots of great record labels out there. DJ Studebaker Hawk and DJ Bongohead and NEPM's very own Bex Taylor. What's currently on your label that you're most excited about? That's coming soon or, or You know what? Let's give it two answers. What's what's coming out that you're super excited about and what's already there that you wish more people would discover? DJ Studebaker Hawk. Sure. The already there, I'm going to immediately jump back to Compost. <laughs> uh, this, the second Compost album, The Eighth Door, I'm just 
super in love with. This was something we, it took us a bit to get it out, somewhat because- <laughs> Understatement. Of, yeah, somewhat because of, of course, the delays in, in record pressing that, that happened over the pandemic. Thanks, Taylor. And, and Adele. <laughs> and COVID. Oh, that thing. Yeah. yeah, whatever, I don't know. So three years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it literally probably took more than that because the whole thing is that, that these songs were being created sort of one at a time. And I said, we got, let's make another album. Yeah. Okay, well, then I got to make some more music. <laughs> so. Encouraging creativity can take time. Yeah, and also, like, linking in with Khalees' great question earlier about reinventing old genres in a modern sense. That's completely what I feel like Compost is. What Joshua Camp, who who is Compost, has done, I've never heard anyone else really have that sound. I don't think Joshua would describe it as such, but to me, it's like Colombian cumbia, a classic style with many genres, meets 90s synth, even some 80s synth, and kind of video game music. Nice. <laughs> um, at least on like a couple of the songs. There's this, the, and there's the some disco beats sounds. in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With everything that's been going on in, in bringing global music to Western Massachusetts, you know, with the music colliders and Barbes in the Woods and people from New York and all over the world have really benefited from interchanging, you know, with the people from Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is just one of the, these, the people behind these bands are just some of the people who have benefited by the opening up of that scene here over the last five to eight years or so. Uh, what I'm excited about what's, about what's coming because we are entering into the spooky season. And this is DJ Bongo Head from Peace and Rhythm. Of Octubre, uh-huh. as we say in Espanol. Several musicians that we know from Austin, Texas, were fooling around with um, cumbia and electronics and trying experiments in the studio they had never actually played together, but one of them had produced the other one's record previously. I'm talking about El Big Toe and El Guambito, Victor Andres Cruz and uh, Beto Martinez. And, and they come from similar worlds, but were in different bands. So they collaborated, they made four songs. One of them was a spooky sounding cumbia. And I thought, oh, I've been DJing either uh, Halloween or, or uh, Dia de los Muertos gigs for my whole DJ life, really. Yeah. And I always try to find scary songs that you could dance to. Nice. Um, and, you know, some people call them novelty. <laughs> <laughs> I call them, like, like important DJ tools. Favorite musical yeah. time of year. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, formats of 7-inch versus 12-inch um, records. I thought, how cool to have a, a really lightweight thing that you could pull out, like, every October or November and, and just... Um, have it with you always in your bag for those those times and it's scary but it's fun and it's danceable love it and so when i heard that i thought oh, okay i'm gonna mark that one down but then a year goes by and two other songs from the four that they did came out on um our friends from chicago's label <clears throat> sonorama discos and i was like oh wait a minute but i realized that they didn't put out the one that i really wanted to put out <laughs> so <laughs> i was like same nice. <laughs> okay, so then I, I talked to the band and they were like we don't know what's going to happen with those. I said, well, I want to put them out. So I scrambled this summer. Oh. I scrambled as fast as I could to get this thing out. And now it's going to be ready. 
And uh, this Friday is Bandcamp Friday. It is October sixth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we've got the uh, this is this is the seven inch right here. We're I, we're all excited about and it. And give right. us the name of the song and the, and the artist one more time. Sabroso y es spooky. Ah. <laughs> That's the name of the song, which means tasty and spooky. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's the two musicians, El Big Toe, which is kind of a joke on Beto, uh-huh. Beto Martinez. And El Guambito, which is the nom de guerre of uh, Victor Andres Cruz. Nice. <laughs> Very oh, spooky. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this one is uh, spooky. <laughs> Bex Taylor, yes. who is new to the Peace and Rhythm family here, tell us what kind of excited you to be want, want to be part of this label and what you're excited that's coming out from the label you're now associated with. I'm excited about the Bioritmo that we're teaming up with. I have been playing Stefan Jazz Safari, so... Um, the Cumbia Muffin, Jesus Pagan, I love. Um, Kita Penas, lo- I played that a lot. Spam All Stars. Yeah. Um, Macabeo. So, um, what was your question again? Yeah, you just, yeah, I just you, went you down the path. It. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> she was a fan, basically. You were a right. fan, and now you're uh, yeah. now you're part and of now the brain it, trust. And because it is just really interesting music, the stuff is just high quality. I just wanted to make sure that we're still putting that stuff out <laughs> because it's financially you know it's yeah. not it's not like 10 it's bucks. an expensive hobby right right, it, right. <laughs> so, it's a labor of love yeah yes right. it is <laughs> yeah a lot of these records they might not come out if we don't do it and that's that's really where we're doing this i mean because we don't make any money this is not our job this yeah. is our, our labor of love peace and rhythm is not our job this is just us trying to help the artists put out great music and a lot of these artists probably would not, maybe would not even exist, but certainly would not necessarily come out in vinyl. They might just come out on like the band's band camp or something uh, if we... Yeah. If we didn't help out. <laughs> it's the team behind Peace and Rhythm Records based here in Western Mass, bringing music from all over the globe to Western Mass live and in person, creating bands out if ex Nilo from their crazy, wonderful musical ideas and then putting it all on vinyl and on Bandcamp. It is Bandcamp Friday. This Friday, we've been speaking with Pablo Iglesias, better known perhaps to the world as DJ Bongo Head, Justin Cohen. DJ Studebaker Hawk and our very own Bex Taylor from NEPM. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rihanna. Yeah. The Peace and Rhythm folks have a weekly dance party that they DJ at Plan B Burgers in Springfield, anchored by Studebaker Hawk and DJ Rex. So if you want to go get your move on and ask for a couple of recommendations in person, you know where to go. And we promised we'd show a little bit of love to Edo Moore of Secret Planet for his contributions to their collective as well. And speaking of, the Peace and Rhythm folks will be spinning just before the show Secret Planet is putting on this Friday with La Perla in East Hampton. And La Perla will join us for live music Friday, too. Everything is connected. It's weird, man. <laughs> Up next, new food words that found their way into the dictionary with resident wordster and senior editor at Merriam-Webster, Emily Brewster. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and EPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield. Last week, we were able to, on the day of the announcement, talk about some of the 690 new words Merriam-Webster has added to the dictionary this year. But today, we're going to talk about the new words in the dictionary that were added that are food words. So what are some of those words that you're finding fun, Emily Brewster? 
Oh, a smash burger. The burger thing is always a thing. Do you know? Do you know smash burgers? Do you make I, smash burgers? I do knew you eat smash them? burgers before that. Um, and yeah, I do. The, I do eat them because they're really, really simple and wonderful to make. If you like burgers that are like juicy and have a little bit of crust to them, it takes all of like a minute and a half to do it, and it's wonderful. Emily Brewster, what does Merriam-Webster define a smash burger as? It's a, a somewhat complex definition. The first is a hamburger patty that is pressed thin onto a heated pan or griddle at the start of cooking. Also, a patty as of beans or ground turkey prepared similarly. And then sense two is a sandwich featuring one or more such patties. I do agree that hamburgers are sandwiches, although the hot dog is a sandwich thing has been well litigated by our friend Judge John Hodgman. We won't go into that. I will shamelessly... <laughs> no, we will not. <laughs> I will shamelessly plug that in my neighborhood, very regularly... At Brick and Feather Brewery, there is Patch Burgers, which has no association with our neighborhood, which is also called the Patch, but they're Patch Smash Burgers. So they make Smash Burgers at Brick and Feather practically every weekend. And they are, they're really fun and delicious. If you go by the cube rules of sandwiches, hot dogs are technically tacos. Okay. Yes, they are. Now we've opened up a whole new can <laughs> Yeah, but of we're not beans. getting into that, right? right? We're talking about a burger That here. can be smashed into a smash burger, beans. <laughs> yes. I will say, I have never had a smash burger. Oh, really? Come to Brick no, and Feather no, in the neighborhood. No, no, no. Go find the video that Kenji Lopez-Alt does on it, because literally it takes a minute and a half. Like, you just season your beef, you need it, or your, your patty, you need it to be a certain weight, and then you, you need your pan to be super hot. You throw your patty in, smash it real flat, like leave it for 30 seconds, flip it over, leave it for another 30 seconds and you're done. Yeah, with a paddle. You're not with pushing it with your hands. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. You just need like a, a good metal spatula. Yeah. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City. Spatula City. At least, you know, you, you sound, you sound kind of chef-y. Oh, oh, nice segue. That brings us to another Thank new you. word. <laughs> chef-y. What is chef-y, Emily Brewster? Characteristic of or befitting a professional chef, as in showiness, complexity, or exoticness. <laughs> exoticness? <laughs> what kind of chefs are we talking about here? Well, I mean, the, the word the chef-y is applied when, when there is oh there's cooking beyond the regular, what is the norm skill set. I, I believe it's called a skillet. No. <laughs> no. No, sir. <laughs> well, this word, chefy and stage and stagiaire, um, also two new terms to the Merriam-Webster.com dictionary, all have entered the dictionary because they have all entered the public consciousness through especially cooking shows and uh, like those competitive cooking show kinds of things and shows about restaurants and about food. Yeah, I was 100% sure that all of these came in because of the bear. Okay, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Great. But I forget that there are actual competitive cooking shows that people quite enjoy. And other like food things that involve the process of becoming a chef where they'd use these ter these terms too. Yeah. Tell yeah. us what stage and stagiaire Like mean. food wars, in case anybody's interested in the anime. Is that a good one? It is. Well, um, yes, but also, like, don't let your kids watch. It's not for children. Okay. <laughs> the same can be said of most restaurant kitchens. Yeah, Fair don't, enough. Don't let your children watch the bear either, unless they're my children, and then yes, do. Say yes, chef. I'm so tough. Yes, chef. I'm so tough. Yes, chef, I'm so tough. Yes, chef, I'm so tough. You are not tough. You are bull. And then give them a job in a restaurant in your town, right around the corner from where they're making smash burgers. What does stage and stagiaire mean? Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster. A stagiaire, and this is spelled S-T-A-G-I-A-I-R-E, is a usually unpaid intern working in a professional kitchen as part of their training to become a chef. Uh -huh. A cook who is doing a stage 
And a stage is a usually unpaid internship in a professional kitchen that is part of a chef's training or a person who holds such a position. So these are both terms that people in the culinary arts have known for a long, professional culinary arts have been familiar with, but now they are becoming part of the broader lexicon. It's crazy that unpaid internships like that are still legal, but okay, I guess it's important to get a lot of uh, exposure to how to do some fancy stuff in the kitchen. Yeah, what usually ends up happening is that you'll get a stipend from whatever school you're with that you're, that has gotten you the internship to try and, and tide you over for the however long your internship is, often about like three months. That's very good to hear. I appreciate that, Khalees. What are some of the other food words that were recently added to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary? Emily Brewster from Greenfield, Massachusetts, from our dictionary in Springfield. Well, here's another one that I have no personal experience with. Have either of you ever tried emping, E-M-P-I-N-G? I have not. It's a slightly bitter cracker or chip that is popular in Indonesia. It's made from dried flattened seed of a malinjo tree. Ooh, emping. Yep. It's the name of a cracker that sounds like a gerund. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about Yolof rice? Oh, yeah. Yolof rice. I love rice. No, oh, my goodness. No. What is Yolof rice? It's a West African dish that is made with rice off and tomatoes. And then everything else besides like rice, tomatoes, onions is up for debate, depending on which country you're making it in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it varies a great deal depending on uh, oh, there are, where you are. There are literal fights about this. Wow. <laughs> People have gotten into fist fights about this, about whether you want yours to be like from Ghana or from Nigeria or from like any of the other nations. And then there's a version of it that's in South Carolina with um, the Gulagechi people, too. But where your Yolof rice comes from is uh, could be a point of contention, but it's always delicious. The word Yolof is hard when you're just hearing it if you're not familiar with it. How is it spelled? J-O-L-L-O-F. It looks like jaw of rice. Yeah. What, where does the yeah. word Yolof come from? It is a ver spelling variant of J-O-L-O-F, and it is used in a bunch of different West African states but Wolof or Wolof, W-O-L-O-F is a ethnic and linguistic name. Niger Congo language of Senegambia. Yolof rice. I yeah. wonder where and around all here. Of, all of the nations around the, that little horn there have their own variations. So, Are there variations in Springfield that we can go try? I don't know. Like, I don't know where the African restaurants are here anymore. There was one in South Hadley. There was one in Amherst for a while. But yeah, now I don't one. know where any of them are. Well, so. if you listener know where you can get Yolof rice around here, let, let us, us know, know at thefab413 at nepm.org. Or if yes. you're really mad about... Um, calling somebody chefy or uh, about <laughs> how all the world is a stage, um, you can let us know. All of the world is an unpaid internship. Yeah, I guess Doesn't that's Doesn't it feel right. like that? Sometimes. <laughs> all right. Here's another Here's another new one that is not, it was not featured in our press release Yay. or the, uh, the article that you all saw. Either of you had chicha before. Chicha. It's not yes. a food, but it is a, it is a drink. No, I've had chicharrones, but I don't know what chicha is. Do you, Khalees? I think I have had this, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a South American and Central American beer made chiefly from fermented corn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, chicha. I have had this. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Chicha beer. Yeah. That Again, I have not. I, I should try to expand my, my culinary experiences to match the 
new words that we put into the dictionary. That would be a good that would be a good challenge there to are, all the lexicographers. Yes. There are lots of gems of cool markets all over the place, but two that are right near each other that I can think of are Trans World Market on Route 9 in Hadley. And then right across the street, mm-hmm. there is a market that you might be able to buy chicha. And I can't remember what the name of it is, like Tres uh, Hermanos or something like that. Yeah, and they uh, have uh, tacos de lengua, which is my favorite. Yeah, I have a lengua that I have to put into a crock pot. Really? Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to cook it in my house but me. And I'm like, we're not getting rid of this. We're crockpotting this. Okay. <laughs> a lengua is a tongue, and it is gross looking, but I'm sure it's delicious. It I is love delicious. Don't lengua forget tacos. to peel it. I will, okay. Now just made it mo- grosser. I mean, well, you don't, like, anyway. Other fun food words? Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, if people aren't uh, quietly gagging. <laughs> um, have either of you ever eaten a Rachel? This is a, it's yes. a, it's a food. It's not a, it's not a, um, yes, it's it's a food. Yes, you it's have. It's a variation on the Reuben. It is. Ah. Yes. Rachel yeah, and yeah. Reuben. So a Rachel is a grilled sandwich of Swiss cheese, coleslaw, and usually turkey, mm-hmm. often on rye bread. Do we know which Rachel this was named after? No, we do not. Well, there is a, there's a children's song, Reuben and Rachel, that is probably the source. And where's the Reuben name come from? Well, from the song. It's Reuben and Rachel, Monty. <laughs> so the, both sandwiches come from this one song? Probably. There, there is a guy, Reuben Kulikovsky. That's where the first, that's where the Reuben sandwich came from. Was he like a he was, sh- chef inventor of the sandwich? No, he, he is actually described as an American grocer. Maybe huh. he had a deli counter in his grocery store. He was a genius. Yeah. He was a genius. It's a good sandwich. Reuben is a very good sandwich. Although nobody ever gives me as much sauerkraut as I want on it. I really just want a sauerkraut and cheese sandwich and whatever protein is there is along for the ride. So wait, differentiate. What's the little bit of difference between the Reuben and the Rachel then? Uh, Rachel's got coleslaw instead of kraut. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like it's good. And usually has turkey instead of corned beef. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Or pastrami. Isn't a Reuben also kind of classic with pastrami? It's better with pastrami. Yes. I love pastrami. I know. I'm hungry. <laughs> we did this. Okay, to I have another word for you that that will cure your hunger entirely, especially as we are talking about smash burgers and um, pastrami and corned beef. This word, it, it'll be very clear why we didn't choose to publicize this one because it's really <laughs> gross. The word, it, the term is meat sweats. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using this word for over a decade. Same. I'm so glad that this has gotten into the dictionary. Same. I feel like meat sweats and itis are always in the same like breath. I don't know the itis part of it. But... Oh, well, that's not in the dictionary yet. We'll just keep well, that to ourselves. Let's hear what meat sweats is, according to <laughs> Merriam-Webster. <laughs> All right, and I am very curious about the itis. Um, <laughs> an increase in perspiration after consuming excessive quantities of meat. <laughs> is it a real thing? Yes. I don't know if it's scientifically provable, but it definitely feels like a thing that's happened to me and my friends yes. many times over the years. Yes. The term dates to, what, 2003, I think. Yeah. Apparently, there's a, a diet-induced process, thermogenesis, where your internal body temperature is increased due to an increase in metabolic activity. Uh-huh. So it's like so, a workout. I should feel yeah. good about the meat sweats whenever I get them. It would be like I went to the gym. Well, no, except that it, I mean it's not it's not really I don't I don't know that it really does this. This again is not You're not, not a scientist. Not the dictionary's job. No. You're a linguist. No, not a scientist. No. You better do an experiment to see if the meat sweats are really uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it here in the studio. I don't know how that applies to language. Well, appa- apparently the thermic effect of digestion is not is not so strong that well, this is something that it well, feels like I've had you. it. Yeah, could for be psychosomatic sure. or whatever, but yeah. 
but we're not tracking whether it's real or not. We're just tracking whether or not the language gets used and people use it. That's right. Yeah, so. and I've been using yeah. that one for a very long time. Indeed. Glad it's in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell us what itis is? It's the condition of fall- that of getting sleepy after you've eaten too much food. And you call it itis. It's the itis. This is a term that's been used at least in AAV for a while, but if you want to look at the first time I think it gets really codified, it's in the boondocks. Oh. There's an episode where Grandpa is given money to open a restaurant, and he calls it the itis. Tonight pork the new sushi. Hold on to your wasabi as we take you to a super exclusive grand opening of the itis. How many in your party? Just us. And how long of a nap will you be taking? Well, we were thinking maybe 45 minutes. That's just great. Head on in. Instead of having tables, they just have like beds that they bring the food to because people just pass out after eating. (laughs) You get the meat sweats and then you get the itis. Is that one in the dictionary yet, Emily Brewster? No. And and itis, I mean, itis has has a life already as a suffix, right? That means inflammation or disease. I, I have some I have some mixed some some mixed feelings about this other itis. We would just call it a tryptophan nap. Usually after turkey, usually after Thanksgiving. Right. Turkey famously does it to people, as does milk, right? Milk is also supposed to make you go to sleep. There, I mean, there are always food terms that are entering the language. It's one of the, it's, it's a constant source of, a constant font of new, new words because... People are ma- inventing new things like smash burgers, right? It's just like a new a new method of preparing something that people have been eating for a very long time. And then also we English speakers become aware of culinary practices and dishes that are prepared in parts of the world where English is not spoken. And then we adopt them as our own and eat the things they refer to. Well, if you know where Yolof rice is in the 413 that we can get it at a restaurant. That would be fun yeah, to let us know. We're not picky about the nation because we're just really excited to have the opportunity to eat it. I mean, I'm especially excited about the opportunity to eat it where I don't have to make it. And if you uh, are excited about or mad about any of the new words, you can email thefab413 at nepm.org and we'll, we'll talk about your conundrum with the word nerd next week. We've got more new words to talk about as well. This is a huge list. Yeah. Thank you, Emily Brewster. Thank you, Monty and Khalees. Cool. Let's see where we can find some empings. Yeah, I know. I bet your trans world market has them. I bet they do. Up next, we're joined by artistic director of the New England Repertory Orchestra, who has a cautionary tale about the itis as well, <laughs> maestro Kalen Marcel Manson. We have so much fun here. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Nero, the New England Repertory Orchestra, returns to the Shea Theater in Great Falls this Friday for its season opener. Full of drama, humor, and energy, this performance features Nero guest artist violinist Thomas Cooper in his own edition of the Violin Concerto in A Major of Joseph... Do you say Bologna? <laughs> oh Bologna. My God. Bologna. Bologna. Chevalier de Saint-Georges, Felix Mendelssohn's Overture, Ludwig von Beethoven. <laughs> sim- I'm not even going to pretend to write read German. Die I just skipped it. Scene. Forget Die it. Scene. Ludwig von Beethoven, Beethoven, Symphony Number no. Four. <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> we have gone off the rails, listener. During the Word Nerd segment, which was pre-recorded, we have been talking about everything from the itis to pouring V8 over oneself in the movie Ninja Three. 
Yes. With artistic... Continue with the with artistic director of Nero, Kayla Marston. But continue the intro. Yeah. Joining us through all of that, this wonderful human being, the maestro of Nero's Springfield's own Kaylin Marcel Manson. Kaylin is a baritone and a conductor, a Philadelphia native who has toured as a soloist and master teacher at major concert venues throughout the United States and colleges besides Europe, Asia, and many organizations. He's been a guest cantor and soloist at some of the world's most famous churches and cathedrals, including Notre Dame. The one in France, not the college. Kalen is currently Associate Professor of Practice in Music and Director of Music Performance at Clark University, the Music Director of the Keene Chorale in New Hampshire, Music Director of the Barn Opera in Vermont, Choral Conductor at Walnut Hill School for the Arts, Artistic Consultant for Mid-America Productions and Mid-Am International, and Artistic Director and Chief Executive Officer of the New England Repertory Orchestra, whose season opens this Friday at the Shea. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413, Kaylin. It is always a delight when you are here. Seriously. Thank you you so much. Glad to be back. So I know we're going to talk about your season, but you just got back from touring Europe this summer. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about how your trip went. Oh. (sighs) And touring as a conductor or a performer? Actually, both. Uh So so I was... over there to, to uh, for this pro, uh, this program called Opera al Mare, Opera by the Sea. Um, that's a project of Barn Opera as well as um, Opera Vermont. There uh, that welcomes young singers to study Italian opera in a rather immersive way. So we actually have a, an Italian professor from Middlebury College, Sandra Carletti, who gives daily Italian classes uh, to the students, and actually was really wonderful about where we were is that we actually are in Cesenatico, which is on the Adriatic coast. It's on the Romagna Riviera. So we really didn't hear much English spoken at all because that's where the Italians go to vacation. So the, if there were tourists, they were German or Dutch. So <laughs> we didn't really... So, and, and I have to tell you... Um, so last summer, this past like two so two summers ago, I actually spent my first like extended period of time in Istanbul. I was there for basically a better part of two weeks. Uh, so I flew to Italy via Istanbul with my <laughs> husband, and um, so I got to share some of that with him. And it was really really intense. It was the first time I think in a very long time that I'd been away from home for five straight weeks. You know, for those of many of us performing artists that travel internationally, um, you get used to being home, away from home, for months at a time, especially in opera productions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, recently, I would say maybe in the last 10 to 15 years of my career, most of my work has been concert work. So if I've had to travel internationally, you're gone for a week and you're back. You're gone for two weeks and back, not for five. Um, and, you know, I missed my bed a great deal. I missed my dogs, but we have a wonderful neighbor, <laughs> a wonderful neighbor, Lisa. Lisa, we love you, um, that watched our uh, our two babies for us. Um, and we just had a, an amazing time. And I have to say, I was... <laughs> I was quite a bit like unnerved. I was annoyed. Can I tell you? <laughs> when, when, after being in Cesenatico for you know three three and a half weeks, and then coming back to Florence in July in the height of tourist season, and you know you get that you enter a restaurant and you get that look from oh you're not from around here, and then they default to English. And I'm like I've been speaking Italian for three weeks. <laughs> I'm in Florence. Why am I speaking English right now? So it is one of those things. I was, but I was very, I was very glad to be back in Springfield. <laughs> I bet if, you went to, if you went to Florence, Northampton, 
then started to speak Italian, you'd have the exact opposite sort of reaction. reaction. Right? Well, yeah. Well, and my students do get these things where I'm, I, I just taught a master class for emerging artists at Clark, um, so young professional singers, and and they're singing. They were singing Italian. They were in you know, Italian arias and German art song and German arias, and I was. It's part of it's just part of my wiring. So when we're talking about text, I start speaking in German to them. And you know, one of them was a Fulbright uh, had a, was a Fulbright scholar, so she understood. But the students were like, uh, "Here he goes again." <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind translating what you just said? Polyglot <laughs> showing off in front of the orchestra. <laughs> I mean, that's just what happens when you do opera. You have to take in all of the languages. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 and it gets into you. I mean, I think that that's the, there is that. I, what I really do appreciate, I'm people talk about studying abroad. It's different. It's still different than when you're living there. And I spent, you know, two to three years of my life over there um, and then dotting back and forth between the U.S. And, and Europe for a long time. And you get, there is that, there's that inflection point where you stop thinking as like, you, you, for a while you think in translation. So you think like, okay, you're hearing them and you're translating into English and then you have to translate to German or whatever. And so you get that inflection point where you actually start thinking like a German. You start thinking in Italian first. And I had that. So it was disrupted while I was still in Italy. I was mad. Uh. <laughs> I was like, I just got here. I just got there. That's so valid. Was- <laughs> We're speaking with Kaylin Marcel Manson, who's now back here in Western Massachusetts, making his home in Springfield, back with his husband and dogs in his bed yes. uh, in Springfield, and is the maestro of Nero, the New England Repertory Orchestra, which will open its 2023-24 season at the Shea. Again, full disclosure, president of the board of the Shea, makes zero dollars off of it, but love to welcome this orchestra, uh, not only because of the mix of music and musicians, but because of the mission of the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And if people missed you on another time we were on the show, remind us what the mission of Nero as an orchestra is? Well, our mission is really twofold. You know, our mission is the primary goal of Nero is, it says it on the website, but I'll say it because it feels good to say, is to dismantle the exclusivity of symphonic music as an art form. I, I, you know, we, it's just part of our culture. We have perceptions and connotations around what we think classical music or symphonic music is supposed to be. And we are trying to not, I mean, there's certain things that are nice about it. It's nice to get dressed up. You are it's always dressed there, up. You look know, fantastic <laughs> right now. Like, you know, you cannot see. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, I am wearing chocolate brown. I have this fleur de lis design on, and I've got blue, and I've got this lovely vintage blue a brooch on. And I'm matching known... blue boots. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. I'm known for boots and a brooch. Always. So if you want to think, so you think Caleb or Sommance, think boots and brooch. Um, <laughs> but, but. Again, but just just the just the ability to the, the ability to flow the way we are in conversation. I feel that you know everyone says music is a universal language, but when they enter into, I like to call them temples of culture. That that way of being somehow something stops about that. It's it's all it has to be contained. It has to be packaged in a certain way, and when you really do think about 
the people, even even the people, you know, the 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 Beethovens, the Mahlers, the the Mozarts, you know, when they were doing the bulk of their work, whether it was under the patronage system or not, they were all railing against that in their own way too. Mm-hmm. You know, Beethoven was writing the music he wanted to write. Mozart was writing music on commission, and some of his the stuff that we love, he was writing for his friends and for the people to enjoy in their own way. So. It's always been part of the spirit of this music to be open to everybody and for everyone to access it and to have a part in it. But we've, I feel that culturally, we, it's not that we've lost that, we've lost touch with it. And so Nero's endeavoring to bring that to the forefront, not just to say it, but to do it. Um, and the second part of that is that we also recognize that people of color have always been gifted at this and yet have had a very difficult way of making this a reality in their lives, whether it's professionally or even avocationally. And Nero's about making sure that there's a place for that too. I love the triple entendre that it is the New England Repertory Orchestra, that Nero means black, mm-hmm. and that uh, it's gonna burn it all down. Hey, <laughs> look, we turned into that. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to say, I, I, I'm literally, I mean, can I, I'll, I'll tell, I mean, you, we. Talk about like there's is no full disclosure, right? But that like even we were taught we finally landed the name. I was like, oh yes, Nero, Nero is black, <laughs> yes, yes. And then we're talking, and then we go over the graphic designs for the logo, and they're like, oh, there's a violin. So literally, one of our principal bases are like, wait a minute, now if it's Nero and his violin, shouldn't it be on fire? Do they have flames? <laughs> and we're like, wait a minute, let me ask, let me ask. And literally, they're like, wait a minute, the graphic designer got back to us, let's look at this, and they're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It works so well. It and does. the uh, opening of the 2023 season is this Friday yes. at the Shea in Turner's Falls. And we are very excited to welcome you back there uh, as a board member and as a patron of the arts and a, a big fan of of the work that you do. Kaylin Marcel Manson, the maestro of Nero Orchestra. Thank you so much. Oh, am I? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, like we can. We only got a minute left, yeah, so if we fine. ask him another question, it's I just going to be it's awkward. It's just going to be. That, we'll just talk more when when yeah, we're done about but the weird stuff we were talking about before. Everybody else will find out what we're doing on Thursday. Thursday on the fabulous four one three. Only one community college in the whole Commonwealth has a Latinx studies program, and it's right here in Hampton County. And we will sit with Professor Raúl Gutierrez and a couple of his current students and find out how this department at HCC has grown over its six years and where they're going to see it going. We'll talk to the folks behind Transformed at Amherst Cinema, centering trans storytelling and filmmaking. And we're betting that Representative Jim McGovern may have some words about the removal of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House this week. So if you have got a procedural or otherwise question about what has been going down in the House of Representatives this week, you can email it to us at thefab413 at nepm.org, and we will ask it tomorrow on your behalf. Turns out it's real weird how you become Speaker of the House, actually. And that you don't even need to be in the House to be Speaker, Oh, it my gosh. Yeah. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see you tomorrow on The Fabulous 413.